So, so when did you start doing this? I think this is like the 11th week or something like that. So oh, almost wow. three months ago. Why did you start? I mean, what was the purpose for starting this? I just wanted to get in touch with people. I'm like, I haven't talked to anybody besides my roommate for mm. 14 months. And I'm not good at talking with people anyway. I need to yeah. make connections and connect with the rest of the musical world instead of being a lone ranger right. for 10 years now. I'm assuming you're still basically busking and that's you haven't been doing that, right? Or have you? Well, I just started uh, going out regularly on the weekends again. There's nobody on the, on the weekdays out there to busk for. Are you vaccinated? I am. Fully, I got the Johnson and Johnson one and done shot. Okay. Like I was choking up when I got my vaccine shot. I was just like, I'm so, so relieved. I bet. Yeah, I got mine back in February because you know, I work in the medical part-time as a lab technician. So I got hooked up pretty fast. I got the Moderna. You know, the thing is though, I don't know, psychologically, I still feel pretty, I still wear my mask a lot you know, if I'm around people anywhere, even outside, because there's so many people that are anti-vax. It's just, you just don't know. We've all been sort of psychologically uh, changed from this whole thing. So oh, yeah, sure. we're in a whole brave new world, I guess. So. It really is. Yeah, I had um, yeah. I was I was out on the weekend on Sunday actually. I was on the waterfront and I was setting up my guitar, and this uh, couple came walking by, and they both looked like pale and they were coughing, and I was like, ah, just <laughs> go wonderful, away. yeah, wonderful, yeah. Right, I'm going to get tested after this. Are people still tipping cash? I mean, it, oh, yeah. I get this impression that, you know, I haven't done any busking in over a year. Uh, you know, the Pike Place shut down busking. And uh, plus, I was just sort of receding from it even before the pandemic. Because uh, you get an um, actual job now. Well, it's sort of. I mean, I've had this part-time job actually since 2016. It's like a two-day-a-week thing. I started uh, doing these drawings for a, um, a designer who lives in the Bay Area. She takes deer hides that are be just basically going to be discarded anyways, right? Yeah. And and she's repurposing them. So she's she's designing like leather jackets and pouches and bags and stuff. And she saw my line drawings and she asked me to do some, try doing some drawings on these products. You know, so I'm drawing directly onto the deer skin products and uh, she pays me by the hour and wow you know so that's been uh helping out you know i mean again it's just really kind of just side money and i've gotten you know some obviously some of the stimulus and some unemployment money and i don't know man somehow i've been making it still trying to figure out what else i want to do you know i, I tried some other things you know when the pandemic first started i took this like 500 photography product photography online course that just fizzled out and then i took a couple i did a couple other online things with let's see retouching like photograph you know like photography editing and that kind of fizzled out you know it's just nothing's really sticking for me you know i'm just trying to i'm trying to put the faith in the unknown and just hope that things go somewhere so right. 
just keep casting your uh, line out there, right? Yeah, I mean, and you know, I mean, I I don't really want to go back to busking, but I mean, I wouldn't rule it out at least maybe a, a day or two a week or something if you know if I had to make some money. And but I mean, I've been wondering, like, it seems that cash, you know, we all know that cash is already sort of disappearing, but it seems like the pandemic really eradicated the use of cash. I put out the Get Venmo digital? sign. Yeah, I put like okay. a. Remember, I had like a PayPal sign back in like 2017, and then you did the same thing. Like I was like, oh, right. you use this QR code, but people right. didn't know what the heck it was. They were like, what is this? And like, oh, if you, uh, you know, you take your phone and do this and it'll click there. But now it's like, now they've created a, you know, they created Venmo out of that idea, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so are you noticing, I mean, just curious, you know, are you noticing more and more digital tipping now or? If I mention it, people will go look in there, go to feel their pockets and Oh, sorry, I don't have any cash. I'm like, I take Venmo, and they're like, Oh, well, I got Venmo. Click. Yeah, okay, so but you, but you find you you find you that you have to kind of point it out to them. Maybe my sign's not eighteen uh, inches isn't big enough. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, mean, I, I have to have it like stapled to my forehead, or I've thought about getting the QR code like stickered to my guitar, right? So when they're taking sure. a picture of me, and oh, then if they're yeah. taking a picture of me, they'll be like, their phone will be like, Hey, do you want to tip this guy while you're taking oh, his picture? That's a great idea. You should I definitely just, try that. That, see what yeah. happens i think i'll uh, do right. that this weekend that's very clever actually because yeah the people already have their phones trained on you so therefore it just kind of will go to the because i think the cameras and the phones are all basically automatically they will go to those qr sites yeah right? it'll bring up a little window that says like yeah you know it brings up the little qr code do you want to go to this web page you know what man that's probably the answer to all this really i mean i've been wondering you know what's going to happen with tipping and all that you know because you have to it has to be something that's just easy to do right what's easier than that i mean people are already taking your photograph and probably about the best thing i've heard so far i mean i have not used cash myself in over a year which is crazy because everything was cash before you know right but it's just all card now so i don't know you know I don't know. In some ways, the pandemic has been a blessing because it's it's really revealed a lot of problems, and I think it's actually had some good, you know, effects. Oh, for sure, this with, People are really realizing it's like the stratification is more apparent than ever, you know, with these billionaires and multimillionaires and this widening rift, you know, between working class and wealthy and and then, the you know, the Black Lives Matter stuff. And I don't know, it seems like it's somehow brought about just more awareness of, of social and racial inequality. And uh, definitely. Yeah, so. I, I sense this movement, you know, toward improvement. I, I hope things um, improve. It looks like I don't know what your you know what your health insurance situation is like. I'm assuming you're on Medicaid. Uh, Medicaid. I got myself on the Medicaid last year. You know, once I was sidelined by my job, I, I was technically unemployed, so I I took advantage and signed up for Medicaid, and they gave it to me like right away online. It was amazing. But I, you know, not that's expired, and now you know I'm supposed to be looking online for the Obamacare plans. But I've heard that there's these really dirt cheap plans. It's good insurance plans for like ten bucks a month. So that's oh, that would be decent. That's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I need to, to look into that. But um, well, beyond the pain pandemic right i wanted to ask you so your squiggle drawings uh when did you start doing your squiggle drawings is that something like that you did in high school or was that i mean for me i just started doodling in in school just to get out of paying attention in class and you said you were doing your squiggle drawings for uh the woman on the deer hides i got a drawing when i was pretty young it was kind of like the first thing i remember really getting into 
remember just getting out pencils and paper and just, you know, I just loved drawing and people back then assumed that I was going to grow up and be the quote unquote artist, you know, but I, I, I haven't really consistently done drawing throughout my life. I mean, I went a lot of years without doing it at all. I was really kind of, I guess, I guess music kind of took over that creative urge. So probably about five years ago, I started doing these line drawings. You know, it's just, it's just very. I remember when, when we were busking at Pike Place Market and like, you'd be over in the corner, like doing your squiggle drawings. If you were waiting for me to finish or oh yeah i think i did a couple down there like i would make be making something on the on the banjo head or something or anyway i started getting into this sort of other style though just doing very linear type drawings kind of abstract you know and very kind of meditative process you know just just sort of repetitive you know lines across the page and then just sort of like following wherever that line goes just trying to keep the next line as close as i could and and then it just kind of i started doing that for my own pleasure you know at home and somehow you know I, i met this design online and she saw those drawings and she got this idea for me to do these drawings and these products and it's been kind of more of a recent thing i guess can you share the name of the designer yeah well she has a a website um it's called my dear tejas t-e-j-a-s kind of more on the high-end side you know she's she's definitely into quality over quantity she hires people in the u.s to assemble the products and you know and then she travels around to different cities and does like these trunk shows where like right now i think she's actually in austin if she does a couple of sales here and there online you know some sometimes we'll post an instagram i mean i'd like to be able to do more you know um branch out and draw on some other products here and there but she so you said your uh your drawing took a backseat to your music what was your first instrument like i know you play claw hammer banjo now and you play guitar and whatnot but did you get introduced to the banjo first or the guitar first and uh like when was that well guitar was the first thing and and that was like when I was probably about 15. Uh, my dad bought us guitars and I just took right to it. I didn't even know how to tune the thing for the first two years. I just would tune it to whatever sounded good. And I would just start making stuff and recording it on a cassette tape for fun. And uh, it's kind of obsessed, obsessed with it. Banjo came a lot later. You know, the whole banjo thing for me was really just a total side thing that just took over my life once I came to Seattle. <laughs> and I never, never had any intention of being a banjo player when i was pursuing music trying to pursue it professionally you know the stuff i was doing musically was nothing like banjo music at all you had a shoegaze band oh yeah and i still love that stuff and i and i actually just put out an album that's kind of like that you know solo thing that i did here at home it's this new project i have called glum bunny i love that name and that's uh, a fun solo thing you know i get to do these sort of ambient very improvised creative outlet but yeah banjo stuff came a lot later i don't know like i was in my late 20s and you know where i grew up in upstate new york there's this sort of old-timey music scene there and i had some friends that were connected to that so i just kind of got pulled into it and and then my friend kevin actually bought me a banjo at like a yard sale. I was in my 30s. You know, around that time, I think people were, there was just seemed to be like this sort of old time music. Yeah, was that the, uh, uh, the and, old brother wear out nowadays? Right, I think that definitely had an influence. And it was um, the Americana, remember that term? You right. know, Americana music was big and just roots music. And I kind of got pulled into that somewhat. And that's when the banjo started getting more popular and I started playing it more. And actually I joined this uh, old timey bluegrass band called 
called the Varnish Cooks. Oh yeah, um, this is this is in Rochester, New York, and that was like 2008. I played guitar in that band, acoustic guitar actually. But we had a banjo player; he was really good. And that was a lot of fun. But I was also playing in this indie rock band called Hinkley, and I had this experimental project called Inward Becomes an Anthem, and I was doing solo stuff under my name. So I was pretty busy around then. With, yeah, it um, sounds like it. And then I moved to Seattle in 2009, and I, you know, I, I was intending to get into the music scene here. I had a friend here who knew a lot of people. Uh, I just somehow dropped the ball. I don't know what happened. I, I think I turned 40 years old and I just started to get tired of the music business game. Making the busking, scene. Yeah, it gets exhausting, you know. And, and then busking kind of happened by accident. I was living down by Pike Place Market in this little bed and breakfast and you know, I heard about the busking scene and I had only ever done that like once when I was like 25 on this random road trip and went with some friends. But I was curious about it and I wasn't making any money so I was like, I'm just going to try it out. You know, I had my banjo and I went down. I think I got the permit or maybe I made the mistake of not having a permit. <laughs> everybody <laughs> like, makes so, everybody yeah. makes that mistake the first time. Like, oh, I can just play anywhere, right? This looks good. Uh, uh, but, you know, I quickly got a permit and it just somehow snowballed and ended up becoming the best paying job I ever had <laughs> right. for about 10 years. Yeah, yeah, same here. It's definitely hard work, though, man. Busking, you know, you know how it is. I got to a point where, you know, I was playing with other people like Annie Ford and Joe Fulton, you know, we had a pretty shady string band. Yeah, I love the pretty shady up. string band. It, we were great. It was a great band. We were, it was a lot of fun. And I played with some other people. Um, then I kind of, I know, I don't know, towards the end, I started to just kind of drift back into solo playing. And I really started to just only exclusively play down in the cave spot. Right. Uh, Best sound. You know, yeah, the sound is great. And, you know, and really that spot was just made more sense to be down there. It just actually seemed like more of a, a place that you would actually stop and listen to music instead of the freaking clock or Starbucks, right? I mean, that spot, you know, those spots were just insane. And I don't know, I started to just play at the cave. That was it the last couple of years. And it was comfortable for me, you know, but it was also, I was also in a total rut. There's nothing wrong with busking. You know, I mean, some people are really suited for it. I know, you know I am. Yeah, like you're into it. Benway's into it you know i mean i think some people are just they have the right personality you used to really enjoy playing oh yeah my best times is like watching kids enjoy it because kids are like the most yeah. honest audience right like other people can yeah. walk by and go that's pretty good hey not bad son and you know they could be bullshitting or they could be honest but when a kid sees you even like a five and six year old kid and they see you and they're like that's good there's yeah. a certain age where the honesty is just completely there you know oh yeah man that i did enjoy i really did enjoy that as well like when you know you get these little kids they're just looking at you like they've never seen anything like that before right yeah you know that that has an impact and that made me feel good that was something i did enjoy about busking was reaching kids who they're not addicted to their phone yet they're just kind of interested in, in new experiences and I, I totally get it for people who don't know for people who are listening the cave at pike place market is um beneath pike place market the main tourist attraction in Seattle, which is typically loud and bustling. If you go down a couple flights of steps into where the second floor is, there's the cave, which has the greatest acoustics you can possibly imagine in that place, as opposed to the clock, which is where people throw the fish, the Pike Place fish market, people throw the fish and they go, hey, fish, man. Right. You know, I mean, really, the only reason to play that spot was just for the money. There's nothing else enjoyable about it. <laughs> the massive right. amounts of people that are there to see the 
to see the fish yeah. and just walk into the place like it's kind of like the main entrance. This is where everyone gathers, but then the din of noise there is just almost unbearable. You know, and yet I put myself through that for years. So when you, I wanted to ask you about Autumn Divers, your band that got actually signed to an actual label. What label did you get signed for when you got signed? Well, it wasn't really a label. It was uh, it was this guy who started a company, an online rock portal called OnlineRock.com. I don't think he owns it anymore. I think he may have sold it to someone else or something, but that would have been like around 2000. Uh, at that time, it was just under my own name, Gregory Paul Group. My manager found him online and got to talking with him and they developed some kind of relationship. And, and I was skeptical because I, you know, I, I had my ideas of what kind of labels that I wanted to be signed to and I'd never heard of this guy or anything. So I was like, well, I don't know, you know, but he turned out to be a really cool dude. And, you know, he had online rock going, but what he he wanted to do was actually sign an actual band and put out an actual album. So in some ways it was almost like we were sort of the guinea, the guinea pig, um, <laughs> but you know, he had money and we got the first deal was for $10,000 and we bought some equipment, recorded an album, you know, did some promotional stuff, did some gigs. And then what we did was the album came out good and stuff. And then the next year we changed the name to the autumn divers and kind of changed our sound somewhat. And, you know, it kind of became more like indie rock, sort of like with that, atmospheric sound because I kind of like you know using the, the effects so there was like elements of like the shoegazy stuff in it right but still indie rockish. so that deal was for a hundred thousand dollars and then we did another album you know but this time there was more money for more promotional stuff and you know radio stuff did some touring and did you get in the van and oh yeah tour about I mean, vans cars yeah lots of that I mean I've done lots of that before <laughs> I ever started busking I mean I spent so many years driving around you know, and playing gigs <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, the Autumn Divers was a cool thing. You know, it, it was like probably the best chance, the best shot I ever really had for something to take off. But, you know, and we gave it our best shot. You know, we worked hard. And when there was this one thing that happened where NBC used four of our songs for background music for the Olympics coverage. It was the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens and NBC was, uh, you know, they interviewed different athletes and they were interviewing Michael Phelps, you know, the, the swimmer. And I remember watching, I was watching the Olympics. I mean, I, I actually was, and I hear my music come on in the background as they're interviewing him. <laughs> it's like the weirdest. I was, I saw that was tripping. I was like, what? <laughs> You're like, and, uh, am I hearing this in my head? Seriously. Yeah, right. Because they didn't ask us permission. So next thing I know, you know, Steve, the online rock guy, Steve Beck, you know, I got on the phone with him and he started recording to see what else, you know, and ended up using four songs. And we re recorded all this stuff and he found a lawyer. We went to NBC and said, look, you know, you guys didn't ask us permission for this. And can you either take this to court or settle this out of court? And so we settled it out of court and they paid us. Nice. You know, I worked out for this best in the end but you know the thing that was kind of annoying about that was that music was probably heard by over 25 million people oh wow a lot of people are watching the olympics but on the other hand it's like because they used it without permission they know, there was no you. there's no credit there's no link to like well this is the music that was playing <laughs> you, you know, should buy this no album exactly there was it did nothing for us really 
right? <laughs> it was uh, just stock. It could have yeah. just been stock music, but it just happened to be right. <laughs> Whatever. It's still it's still cool that it happened. I guess. Yeah, it would have been nice if they actually were like, well, and here's a the link to the band or whatever. But kind of fell apart. You know, we didn't really last for that. You know, after that album and stuff, it was just kind of like I think we all just kind of felt burned out and sort of like, well, this isn't really taking off. I mean, part of it was me. I just I think I just kind of like felt tired of trying to write songs and you were writing all the songs yourself pretty much yeah yeah i was you know the singer and you know the guitar player and i've never been a prolific songwriter i really enjoy singing and playing but like actually coming up with the songs and the words and stuff and i just sort of branched off into my own solo stuff and then that just kind of led onwards to other things so you went to seattle with that getting into the music scene in mind yeah you said you know when i was still living in rochester i'd met uh i'd met someone who was originally from Seattle and she wanted to move back to Seattle and I was like ready to get out of Rochester at that point you know, I was, I was <laughs> like, 39 years old you know I was, I was like I've had enough you know I mean I should I you know I should have left a long time before but and you know I I tried to convince myself it doesn't matter if I'm based in Rochester as long as I'm traveling you know because New York City wasn't terribly far away you know and all these other northeast cities but it's you know, it's not good enough. You know, you really got to be in a scene. You kind of got to be in LA or New York City, really, or Nashville. So I, you know, Seattle was never like a place that I really thought about moving to. I knew that it was a cool town, you know, obviously the grunge scene and all that stuff and, you know, West Coast, right? And, you know, my friend introduced me to some people here that were in the scene. You know, I, I got to talk with Jonathan Poneman at Sub Pop Records. I almost got into the band The Head and the Heart before they were The Head and the Heart. They were a Seattle busking. They, they were, yeah. Band. And that's how I met them. Like, they moved to Seattle the same time I did. And wow. we met at an open mic. We met at uh, at this this open mic in West Seattle at this place called Shadowlands. And that was when it was just John and Josiah. There wasn't even a band yet. And, you know, we would sometimes, like, play together at these open mics. I remember they played this one song. I was like, man, that's a really good song. And I was like, did you guys write that song? I'm like, yeah. And I was like, wow. You know, I realized like they had something going and I was thinking, geez, I wonder, you know, could I get into this band as a banjo player? But yeah. they didn't want to, they, they weren't looking for a banjo player. <laughs> so that was, if I, you know, I should, and you know, in retrospect, I realized I should have offered to be their bass player because they did eventually get a bass player and yeah. that would have been my ticket. But uh, <laughs> right. so anyways, came to Seattle and it was almost like I got here and then I just sort of like, I just was sort of burnt out from many years of, you know, trying to succeed as a songwriter and all that stuff. And then somehow, you know, the busking thing just randomly kind of came along and, you know, busking was never, it's not a creative endeavor for me. You know, it was just, I'm playing old time music and kind of putting my own twist on it. Um, it, it wasn't songwriting. I mean, it was enjoyable. I mean, again, I like singing and playing, but it wasn't really like a creative outlet for me. It was just a way for me to sing and play an instrument and make money doing it. But it wasn't what I really wanted to be doing. I kind of just said, into it the comfortable com spot your comfort zone yeah you get into your comfort zone <laughs> yeah. and, then you, and then you get stuck in it you know next thing i know 10 years has gone by i'm like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> right. you know but then so yeah. i noticed i remember when after a couple of years after i'd met you you started posting like your your kind of ambient music on your facebook and your instagram and and now you're kind of doing that more on the regular i guess this past winter i started getting get interested in just making short videos i really like film and good television and good visual work because I also do photography on the side. So I was doing a lot of street photography. And so I started setting up my camera. I put on a tripod, start making recording videos of my 
myself playing music and then it just kind of evolved. I went, it took some ferry rides and shot some different natural scenes. And then I would come home and put music to it. And that whole thing just kind of developed into this. So I ended up using a lot of those audio recordings. They sounded good enough to be an album. So I just kind of did some editing and just decided to put it out as an album. So, but there are some accompanying videos for that stuff. Like that's what's kind of different about this one. And are your um, videos on Bandcamp or where can people see those? YouTube. There's a YouTube channel. Yeah, you can see them there. Glum Bunny. If you Google Glum Bunny, you should those videos should come up. So yeah, GP on YouTube. That's it. And your Bandcamp. You want to tell people where your Bandcamp is? Yeah, I mean, you can find Glum Bunny on Bandcamp. There's like 13 songs, a 13 song album there. It's kind of got that ambient, shoegazy, dream pop vibe. I mean, you know, it's mostly like, you know, guitar based music with a lot of effects pedals and kind of cinematic sounding. And A little outside edit. Here's Nightwalker from Glum Bunny's album. If you had a billboard on I-5 near Seattle and you could put anything you wanted on it, what would you put on that billboard? Turn back now before it's too late. <laughs> good, that's a good question, Gary. I, I, can't, I can't give you a serious answer. No, that's all right. Know. Any uh, answer is a good answer. It's still booming like gangbusters here. You know, there's towers going up all the time. And so it's parts of the city are just unrecognizable. You know, the weather's still the same. <laughs> right. Thank you, Greg Paul, for being on the weekly music thing. I appreciate your time. I've kept you for over 80 minutes now. <laughs> Should well, let you go. Thanks, Gary. It's uh it's been great talking to you. Thanks for inviting me. It's the week.